Now, normally, for a Father's Day message, the speaker would come up and talk about their experiences as a father, right? Talk about what it's like raising a kid or two or five. And they would relate that to, you know, God being a father and this and that. I just want to make it clear. I am not a father. (laughs) I'm not. I'm really not. I want to be one day, but I'm not yet. And I remember when Chip asked me if I wanted to speak on Father's Day, I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a father, right? Right? You know, (laughs) like, right? (laughs) Um... And he's like, I, he's laughing, we, we laugh, and he's like, I know that, I know that. Um, but he gets real serious, and he says, Nathan, the perspective of a son is one half the relationship with that of a father. Amen. And I was like, it, it hit me in that moment, guys. I had this realization, oh my gosh, he was totally right. The perspective of the son is critical to understanding the Father, right? So, you see, we are all sons and daughters, regardless of what path we take in this world. Regardless of the choices we make, we came from somewhere, right? Every single one of you out there was born from a mother and a father, Regardless, even if you don't know your parents, you didn't just magically appear one day, right? That will never change. You still came from them. You inherit genetics from them. <clears throat> you, you have parents, is the point I'm trying to make. And I suppose the next place this thought leads me to is what does it mean for me to be a son or to be a daughter, right? I am a son. (laughs) I have a father. He's a pretty cool guy. I'm probably going to embarrass him here. Uh, (laughs) I got several of my hobbies from him. Uh, He taught me how to ride a bike. He's always been good with numbers, too. He taught me the entire multiplication table when I was just five years old, and I still think that set me ahead in school for years to come. I don't know if you remember this, Dad, but... I have this memory of, it's truly one of my earliest memories. It was our old house, we're on the side of the house, and I am just tearing up the flower bed for some reason. I am digging around in the mulch, and my dad is about 15, 20 feet away from me. I think he was also working in a mulch bed, and he's just going, quick, what's four squared? Oh, 16. Oh, what's five squared? Oh, oh, 25. Just, you know, having me recite the multiplication table to him as I am just digging around in the dirt, doing what kids do. You see, my dad, he drops anything, everything he is doing if my sister or I need help with something. Whether it be uh, taking care of me when I've been sick or bringing food to my little sister when she has lived at Ohio State at all hours of the day or night. All she has to do is ask. Even just a few weeks ago, uh, my car, (laughs) I'm 
Chelsea was with me for this. My car started violently shaking while I was driving. Not great. <laughs> and to be honest, my check engine light is always on. It is a solid yellow all the time. It's an O2 sensor. It's fine. I know. But as my car started violently shaking, to my shock and horror, the light started blinking. <laughs> blinking, people. It's not good. Not good. And, and <laughs> this is a true story. I pull into the Chick-fil-A parking lot with Chelsea and we're trying to look at it and it is pouring rain. And I just, I call my dad and it's because I probably don't know as much as I should about my car and I don't know what he was doing. But in that moment, it didn't matter because he dropped it to come and help me. And when he got there, he was like, Nathan, go inside, get some food. Don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got it, right? He's actually sitting over there. Dad, can you give everyone a wave for me? Hello. Yes. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Um, he doesn't like attention all that much, so I will get back to the point I'm making. I love my dad, right? As a son, these moments have been imprinted on me growing up over the course of my life. And I'm blessed to have a dad because many of us didn't get the opportunity to grow up with one, honestly. And my dad, as great as I think he is, he's still human. He's been going to bed a little earlier. <laughs> Hair's getting a little grayer. I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. It's all good fun. We, we have these jokes. <laughs> Don't worry, he, he gets some zings on me all the time. But I think most little kids, when they're little, they think their dads can do anything, right? I thought this about my dad, uh, that they're invincible, that truly anything is possible. And then one day, you are too heavy for them to pick up. Do you guys have that memory, those of you who grew up with dads? Do you remember ever walking up to your dad and be like, pick me up, pick me up. And then it's all of a sudden, you just, you're too heavy. In that moment, the cracks of imperfection start showing, right? This illusion of perfection is shattered. What do you mean my dad can't do everything? Dads can't do everything? What the heck? So here's the reality for us humans. Because none of us are going to have a perfect dad, no matter how good he was. And for those of us who are dads or are one day going to be dads, you're not going to be a perfect dad. Try as I might one day, I will not be a perfect father to my future children. As much as I will try and, and as much as I want to be, I will fall short. However, there is a perfect father who loves us with a love that is unimaginable. This love is deep, this love is wide, and this love is strong. This is the love of a father that many of us may have never known. 
the love that strengthens us and comforts us. And see, I've caught glimpses of this throughout interactions with my own dad, right? Glimpses of the heavenly father and the love that he has for us. That time before you're too heavy, right? That time when you think, you think your dad can do anything and everything. That is how we need to posture ourselves as children of God. Does that make sense? You see, it's because he is perfect, right? He is invincible. He can do anything. We will never be too heavy for him. So this Father's Day... Will you worship the faithful and perfect Father? Will you rediscover with me what it means to have faith like a child, like a son, like a daughter? Let's crack the book open. Matthew 18, 2 through 5 says this. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Wow. Having faith like a child is no easy feat. You see, in this passage, Jesus tells us, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? You see, he's saying that having faith like a child requires putting aside our own will, right? You see, children, parents, you know this, children often have very little control over their own lives, Yet, in healthy circumstances, children embrace this. They embrace the fact that they have to put trust in other people. It's dependency, a healthy dependency. They trust what their parents, teachers, or other adults tell them without doubt or fear. For example, when a young child is shown a card trick their eyes light up with wonder. I like the example of a card trick. Adults, on the other hand, they're much more skeptical than children, right? See, I actually learned a very cool card trick a few months ago from Caleb over there, actually, and I, <laughs> I have performed this dozens of times for dozens of people it's a good trick. Come find me. I'll, I'll make a time and I'll show it to you. And I cannot tell you how many times my friends or coworkers, uh, when I will perform this, they'll go, wait, I think I know how you did that. Or, oh, I see what you're doing. You're just doing this. And they try and tell me how I did the trick, right? And my favorite response in these moments is I will hand them the deck. I say, okay, do it. Show me the trick. And the, they'll always respond back to me. No, no I, I need more time. I need more time. Not yet. They don't, they don't really know how it happened. They can't replicate it. But the fact that they question 
the trick. You know what I mean? The sleight of hand behind it. It seems as if this, this childlike faith in the things we see and the things we perceive, uh, we lose it as we grow up. Does that make sense? It's like it's lost in the process, that childlike wonder, seeing something that is unexplainable. All of a sudden, you want the answers to it. But our heavenly Father, he's always going to be our Father. We're always going to be his sons and daughters. Do you kind of see the allegory I'm putting together here? To be a son or daughter of God means that we trust in him unconditionally. The same way a kid might trust a card trick that is shown to them. You may ask yourself, how are we able to have this trust? You know, maybe, maybe you have trouble trusting people. That's okay. Honestly, that's kind of normal. How do I know I can trust him? You see, I was, a couple months ago, I was able to talk about this with some of the youth students. We can trust him because of his deep and unconditional love for us. Like I said earlier, this love is deep. This love is wide. This love is strong. Stronger than anything that we will face. You see, the Greeks, uh, one of, it was when the first scriptures were being written, uh, the Greeks had four words for love. In English, we smash these four words together. But there's different types of love, right? The word for the type of love that I am describing is called agape love or sacrificial love in English. This is the love a father has for his children. See, God proves his love for us time and time again. The scriptures are filled with countless stories of God showing up, rescuing his people, his children, delivering them out from under the control of his enemies. When our father makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it. His sacrificial love that I mentioned, that agape love, it stretched farther than anyone could have possibly imagined so far that God sent his son Jesus to take the penalty for our sins. This is what it says in Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your father loves you so much, so much so that he will chase you down to every corner of the world, every corner of your life, so that you might be saved. That's how much he loves you. That you might avoid the debt that you owe. This is shown again when Jesus is telling a parable called the pearl of great price. He says in Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me explain this. We are the pearl in this story. 
God is the merchant. Does that make sense? He paid the price for us. Do you think if the merchant in this story dropped the pearl and it rolled into a gutter, that he would just throw up his hands and be like, well, guess I got to go buy another pearl. Do you see what it says? He just paid it all for this pearl. He sold everything he had. He would go to the ends of the earth to chase down this pearl and get it back. Just as I imagine, many parents in this room would do whatever it takes for their children. Right? This is our father. This is his heart. He does not get too old for us. He does not get bothered by us. He does not get annoyed by us. Dad's in the room. I hate to be the one to break it to you. Your kids know when they're annoying you. (laughs) Often, it just eggs them on to annoy you even more. (laughs) But God doesn't get annoyed by us. I can pray to God and ask him about the same thing every day for 10 years, and he is happy to hear it every time. Every time. Our Heavenly Father never tires of us. He never needs to sleep after a long day of work. He never needs alone time in the garage. See, we can be confident children of the one true King. Knowing this and living this out, childlike faith is powerful. Look what it says in Matthew 17, 20. It says this. He replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If we have faith, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. I've struggled with this verse before. Driving on a long road trip, driving through the Appalachian Mountains and thinking to myself, should I? (laughs) No. I'll try that another time. That actually has happened. (laughs) But there's a fun duality happening here if you'd follow me just a little further. You see, the implications of, of what we're reading here is that We as sons and daughters are given an example of dependency, right? Trusting our Father, having faith in our Father unconditionally. Yet, it is through this dependency that we can do all things through Christ. Isn't that interesting? You see, I am 23 years old now, almost 24 And I'm forging my own little path in this world. I like to think I am. Doing my own little thing. I often find myself trying to figure out everything on my own, right? I like to be in control. 
Who doesn't? I'll say it. Who doesn't? I don't think I'm a control freak. I don't think that's the word I would use. (laughs) But I like to be in control. And as it would turn out, every time over the past several years, I have tried to go it on my own, figure things out with my own little plans, I have failed to do what I was trying to do. Every time. And yet, when I step back and just say, all right, Father, you should have been my first resort, not my last. Guess what happens? Everything falls into place. I get the job. I get the scholarships. Every part of my life that I had been struggling with, it works itself out. The way he always intended it to. His intention was always for us to trust in him first. He's faithful. This is our father. Here's my point. Am I making sense? Yeah. Here's the point. Particularly if you're struggling as seeing yourself as a child of God. I've felt that way before, but I really want you to listen to that if this is what you feel like. There's a God who wants to blow your mind. Truly. There's a God who wants to do something in you that is so great, so phenomenal, that you say to yourself, I cannot believe this is real. This can't be real. See, I would never have thought that I would turn out to be who I am today. I feel like I'm finally in this place where I'm becoming who I always wanted to be. And that's because There is a God who is my father, who is orchestrating my life for me, and all I have to do is trust in him. See, that's the God who is able to do far greater things than we can even think or imagine. We put God in a box, but he wants to blow our minds. That's the God that we serve. That is our father. That's my perspective as a son. In closing, this Father's Day, will you let the perfect father have control? Control's a harder thing to give up. Trust me, I know. Will you look at God with the childlike wonder that we all felt once with our dads. I love the metaphor I thought of earlier. You aren't too heavy. You're not. That is the picture in my head. We are this three, four, five-year-old being thrown up by our father, the way my dad used to do to me. I'd always shout, Throw me higher. It felt like I was many feet in the air, though I'm sure it was only a few inches. (laughs) But that 
feeling, if you can relate to that, that's what I'm talking about. And though now I'm too heavy for my own dad to pick me up, I will never be too heavy for God. He can do all things, and he loves you more than I could ever explain. That's what it means to be a child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you just for loving us as your children, God. And I just pray that you help us to posture ourselves in this position of childlike wonder. I pray that you help us to have faith like a child, God, to trust in you unconditionally, God. Help us to give up control. Thank you for everyone in this room and bless our Father's Day. In Jesus' mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job, Nathan. Woo! Let me see if I can throw you up in the air. <laughs> oh, man. See, I thought that would be a neat perspective, huh? <laughs> well, um, good. As we kind of let that resonate for a little bit. Um, what I wanted to do also today is uh, talk about uh, a day that has now been recognized as a national holiday, and that is Juneteenth. So Juneteenth, which is uh, June 19th, Juneteenth is short for June 19th, uh, represents the day that America abolished slavery. But actually, June 19th isn't the day. See, in, and I got some notes here because my head is just kind of spinning. I've been, you know, has anybody else still got vertigo? Like, so you're on this boat, you know, for two weeks. And like, like I was in the shower this morning. I was like, oh, oh this is interesting. January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln uh, uh, issued the Emancip Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, right? Is that right? I said that. I was going to say Emancipation Proclamation <laughs> to put an end to slavery in America. Thank goodness he did. Well, what happened was the southern states, the Confederate states, that's where the ending of it all started. But the, 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 the decree was issued when the troops would slowly go through each state. And so it actually took two and a half years before word reached Galveston, Texas. So which was June 19th, 1865. So here on, in the southern states and on the east coast... Slavery had been abolished, but further out into the country, you know, they, they didn't get word of that yet because there wasn't national TV and things of that nature, you know, phones to shoot out a text and stuff. So it took two and a half years, and thank goodness that it did. But I can remember a number of years ago when um, holidays started popping up on your calendar, on your phone, right? Jewish holidays, Muslim holidays, some other things. I didn't know what they were. It didn't matter. It didn't mean anything to me because I was like, you know, where's Christmas? Where's, 
Easter. Where's the Christian holidays, right? Because that's what we celebrate here in America. And so I remember, I don't know if you remember this past day, we, we have a vineyard pastors meetings. We, the uh, local area vineyards pastors, we meet here once a month. And one day, there's probably about 12 of us there, you know, 11 white guys, one black guy. And we were, we were putting some dates out and uh, we got our phones out. Well, I don't know what's going on on that day. I don't know. My phone says Juneteenth. Well, I don't know what that means. Juneteenth. What is that? And then one black pastor said, well, that is when slavery was abolished. And he gave us the story. And we were like, ah, do you remember that? It was was Willie Pinkins was there. And uh, he explained it to us. And we're all like, are you serious? Wow. And and obviously we thought it was the neatest thing. But, you know, we didn't never knew what that was about. And so now it's finally coming to recognition, and we've made it a national holiday, and I, I think that's fantastic. I think, it's, I think we're a little late, but at least, you know, better late than never, right? So um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to bring up our life group director, Benny Colquitt, and uh, just do a little Q&A with Benny um, about Juneteenth. Yeah, come on up, Benny. As you can see, Benny's an African American. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 he's just black. So. I'm what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so Benny, uh, you know, we just had a few questions, but but you know, can you share with us what the meaning of Juneteenth is for you? Well, when I first heard about it. Um, I thought it was the longest game of telephone ever, you know, because they heard about it and then they went from state to state letting the slaves know, hey, you're free, you're free, you're free. And you know, when they got to Texas, which was the last day, two and a half years later, it's like, man, can you imagine how they must have felt? Like, I've been free for two and a half years. Now, that was bad. But then when they tried to leave, how some slave owners harassed and persecuted them, and some even were killed. Mm. And I, I was thinking about that, and I thought that, you know, that was terrible. But then I thought about um, the scripture in the Bible, um, in Hebrew 12, where it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Mm. So then I started thinking about the slaves, you know, for the joy that was set before him, some endured the persecution, they endured the ridicule, they endured the the beating, some even endured death for the joy that was set before them and their children. Mm. And so when I thought about it like that, I said, you know what? This is a good holiday. I like this. That's good. That's deep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So... What do you think the impact will be with Juneteenth becoming a national holiday in America? I'm glad you asked that. Um, Unfortunately, if I can be honest, I don't think the impact will be too good. Because, um, you know, as children, you ever, uh, when you were a child, your parents got your brother a toy or uh, something and you didn't get it. And what did you do? 
where's mine? I didn't get this, I didn't get that, you know. Um, there are other groups out there that um, are, are other things out there that um, may, realize, may think they should be recognized, but not really. I believe everybody should be heard, but not everybody, but not everybody should be listened to. That's good. So. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So that was our thing. That's good. All right. Okay. And then uh, one more. So with Juneteenth getting the recognition that it deserves, what are some things we can do to ignite some honest dialogue as to what the day represents? Oh, my God. What would be the best thing to do is to take that elephant in the room and make it a museum. Stop trying to hide it, you know. Mm. Uh, approach it head on and talk about every fact about it, every nook and every cranny, because when you, when you acknowledge it, you take away anything anybody trying to say that's, that's not correct, you know what mm. I mean? And, and when you talk about it and when you, when you have it open, there's no secrecy no more, you know what I mean? So, so it, it can be addressed and it's not gonna be pretty, you know, it's gonna hurt. But if you endure the pain for a little while, I guarantee you'll like the end results. That's good, I like that. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, most of you are aware that's what we've been trying to do here in this church, you know, is build those bridges and create some honest dialogue and some honest conversation, you know, about our country's past and where we are now and where we're heading in the future. And I can say this, I went to the uh, uh, national conference um, for the Vineyard National Conference out in Phoenix in October, last October. And it was the most diverse conference I've been to in the Vineyard. Like I just looked around and I was like, oh my goodness, you know the Vineyard is predominantly white, but it was the most diverse I had ever seen a Vineyard conference. I've been going to them for 20 years and it made me smile. It was good, and there, there was a lot of, there was a lot, there was a lot of uh, uh, senior pastors retiring and bringing in uh, people of color that were replacing them. And they weren't doing it just to do it, they were doing it to be intentional on, here's the thing, not just giving people a place at the table, but creating more tables so we can all sit down and enjoy life together. Amen? Can, can I say so, something? Yeah. You know, when, when my family and I got here, if I can just be transparent for just one moment, um, my wife said, you know, why don't you come to church with me? And I said, okay, where are we going? We're going to Vineyard. I'm not going to that white church. That's the first thought of a lot of black people. And then when I came and I experienced it for myself, I was not treated differently because I'm black or anything like that, but um, my race was acknowledged and celebrated. Matter of fact, me and you sat down and talked, and you said, how would you like to be referred to? You know, didn't try to hide it, you know, didn't try to tiptoe around it, but we talked about it, and, and we were open about it with everything, and that made me interest, and made me want to come, and made me want to 
pitch in and do things because not only are we reaching the loss, but we're also the ones that are saved and don't feel like they have a place. Say, hey, we got a place here for you, you know? And that's one thing that I like with the diversity and then the Be the Bridge classes that we, we have here. I don't know if, how many other churches in Columbus are doing it, but I know we're doing a real good job of it. Amen, that's good to hear. Thank you, Benny, I appreciate that. Yeah.